the podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. Um, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Can I add my welcome to, um, to Ruth, to Jen and to others? Uh, if it's your first time here this morning, a huge, huge warm welcome to you. Uh, thank you for joining us. Please stay at the end. We have tea and coffee out there. There's a welcome desk. You can find out all about us and we can find out about you. It's just great you're with us. Uh, if you're here all the time, it's great you're here too as well. I wish feel that. Uh, my name's Johnny. I, I'm a member here, part of the leadership team, and I work in a local secondary school as well. Um, Gemma mentioned a few weeks ago as we started this series, 2024 for Belmont. Uh, the Gospel of John is out and the Book of Romans is in. Please don't forget, forget her disclaimer as well. Very, very important. Uh, for 10 weeks as a church, we are going to look at the Book of uh, Romans. We're going to do an overview of it. And we're being supported uh, by uh, this man, really. This is Andrew Ollerton and his book, uh, Romans, A Letter That Makes Sense of a Life. That kind of accompanies our series and resources from the Bible Society. And uh, what you're going to see a lot over these weeks uh, is, is this kind of mountain image. As Ollerton, when he wrote the book, he uses it as a picture map for us for the book of Romans about how we can get our way through it. It's a simple visual aid of saying where we've come from and where we're going. And so far, uh, unlike most uh, mountain visits... Um, we haven't done any climbing yet, which seems a bit strange. Uh, we are about to do it, uh, but we've looked at the route. You'll see where it says gospel there. And then last week, we plunged into the valley of sin, but we are going to climb as of this morning. Uh, next week, we have a normal 10 a.m. service here at Belmont, uh, where we're going to be looking through Romans 5. But we're also, some of us will be up in Newquay uh, with Andrew Ollerton looking at Romans 5 as well. My job this morning just a small job I have this morning, is to go through the end of Romans 3 and uh, the whole of chapter 4. If you, I'm smiling, if you know why I'm smiling, you will know. We'll see in a moment. Uh, in my day-to-day job uh, at school, I'm a deputy head teacher and chaplain. And over the past uh, four and a half years, my job's got more difficult. Now, probably most of you got our COVID. No, uh, very different, actually. Um, you see, one of my job roles as as deputy teacher and chaplain, I take uh, assemblies in front of large numbers of young people, hundreds of them. And um, four and a half years ago, my own children started coming to the school, um, which meant that my repertoire for stories has diminished rather, uh, rather massively, if I'm perfectly honest. Uh, it's one thing being an embarrassing dad. It's quite another being an embarrassing dad in front of hundreds of peers. So in many ways, stories are off limits in school for me. As a result, I'm on my best behaviour all the time. And what's even worse is about a year or so ago, I've, been, I've struggled to have them in church now as well. So my eldest is in the room right now. He's part of the PRP group. However, not all my children are in this room. And um, whilst I still have chance, Lucy's in her final year of youth work, so we might as well. And she's just left the room. Um, I'd love to share something with you that happened uh, a number of years ago, uh, this many years ago, in fact. Uh, Lucy is now 14. Um, it was the summer, and Lucy was preparing for her first ever school sports day. Uh, Han and I, we thought it, it wasn't really on Lucy's radar, that she was quite looking forward to it. And then the night before, after we'd put her to bed, uh, about half an hour later, we hear some sobbing. We hear some whimpering. 
And so I, I run upstairs, and yeah, it's Lucy. Lucy is in bed, and she is crying. And so what's really bad about Lucy when she was little was that her chin wobbled when she cried as well. <laughs> Break your heart. And so I ran, I ran in. What's on? Are you all right? Are you all right? And here's what she said, word for word. She said this. Daddy, I'm really worried about sports day tomorrow. I'm scared that I won't do very well. You are under the gun now as a parent, aren't you? What do you do at this point? You think very quickly, and I'll tell you what I did. I climbed the ladder to her bed. I looked her in the eye and I held her. And I'll tell you what I said to her a little bit later on. <laughs> now, I haven't done it in ages. <laughs> Promise I will. Uh, last week, Paul left us uh, in a pretty hopeless situation. That's not Paul's fault, by the way. Paul was excellent last week. Um, from the start of Romans up to chapter 3, verse 20, um, it's pretty miserable. If you are to read it, there's not much hope. There's no apparent light at the end of the tunnel. There doesn't seem to be a way out for humanity from the desperate situation we're in. You may remember that Paul said last week, he talk, helped us think about four ways that we've suppressed God and that we need his kindness. And the very last uh, verse that Paul was in his section, uh, 3 verse 20, says this. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Where we left it last week, we're in big, big trouble. Um, as per the series, if I just use this a second, um, we, were, we were down. We were in big trouble and uh, the scales were going the wrong way. Uh, but what we're going to see this morning is things are going to spectacularly change. In a few moments, we're going to pick up in verse 21. And I just need to read the first two words to you just for a second. And these two words are not complicated words, but they're unbelievably important. Romans 3.21, but now. Now, I've got really complex words to go through, but I do just want to check this. That word, that reverses what's just been said. And that word tells us about the present state. Okay, and what we're about to read is incredible. Something has happened in the next few verses we're going to read that has changed everything for everyone forever. And we need to know what it is. So what has happened that has changed this situation? Well, we're about to read Romans 3, 21. I'm going to put this there because it's changed everything. Look at me with my science. Look at that. Um, we're about to read Romans 3, 21 to 26. And uh, these six verses have been described by New Testament scholar Dr. Leon Morris as this. Possibly the single most important paragraph ever written. Now that is quite a claim, and you may or may not agree with Dr. Morris, but it probably should intrigue you at the very, very least. So let's read it together. Romans 3, 21 to 26. Follow it. Uh, in a Bible in front of you on, on your phone, or I'll put it on the screen as well. Here we go. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have fallen, sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement 
through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. If that's probably the most important paragraph ever written, we should pray now. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for those words. We were in a desperate spot in our series last week, but now, but now it's changed. Father, in the brief time we have this morning, and we know we won't do it justice with the amount we're going to cover, please help us to understand these words and part of chapter four better and understand how much you love us. In the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ, whose blood was shed, we pray these things. Amen. At the end of last week, humanity, we were in a hopeless situation, but now we have finally some good news. And it's always good to hear good news, isn't it? Um, Whenever anybody tells you good news, that's great. But if you are in a bad spot, it's even better, isn't it? If you hear something good news that changes your situation, that is huge. Last week, we've learned that we've turned our back on God. We've suppressed him. And without some sort of miracle, we're doomed. But now, in the letter to the Romans, Paul tells us that a rescue operation has taken place on a scale that has never been seen before and on a scale that will never be seen again. What has happened in these verses? Well, a story of salvation has been told. That's what's happened. Now, I realize in the passage there are a number of quite long words that need a lot of unpacking. Um, There's there's one there, for example, salvation. Just in literal terms, salvation is the state of being saved or protected from harm or a dire situation. Uh, In that valley of sin from last week, there is no way out of this situation. But in the passage, we have just read that God has done something to enable and escape from the predicament of sin. And what has he done? And what is the solution? Well, the solution is found in one place and one place only, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not found anywhere else. Many people in our world look for it all over the place, but you won't find it anywhere else. Jesus is Christ's death and resurrection. They change everything. And the salvation is through Jesus. It's not some sort of DIY do-it-yourself project. It's not. It's It's all to do with Jesus. And his rescue is the core of the Christian faith. It's what makes it unique to all other faiths out there. Uh, The author C.S. Lewis, uh, when he was alive, Chronicles of Narnia Man, um, he he was in a debate about the uniqueness of the Christian faith. It got quite heated, apparently. And uh, one of his uh, one of his one of his people in the debate said to him, what makes Christianity different from all other faiths? C.S. Lewis, I think, was quite a spiky character. He said, that's easy. He said, it's grace. Now, if you don't know what grace is, here's a little acronym for you. God's riches at Christ's expense. Uh, grace is a gift we get, even though we don't deserve it. And Lewis, I think, is right. You see, uh, I think that grace, and Lewis does, is, the, is Christianity's unique selling point. It, makes it sets it apart from everything else. The idea of God's love as a free gift is something you don't find elsewhere. 
You get the Hindu doctrine of karma. You get the Buddhist Eightfold Path, the Jewish Torah, the, the Muslim Code of Law. All of those offer a way to earn approval. Christianity says, no, <laughs> you don't earn approval. Here's a free gift. Here's a free gift for you. And that is good news. And it's good news for you, whoever you are, whether you are young or old, whether you are rich or poor, it does not matter. And the crux of salvation is the cross of Jesus. And in the six verses that we just read, um, Paul uses um, to explain how this works. There's three, well, there's probably more, but there's three big ideas. Redemption, atonement, and justification. Now, Paul Cook mentioned this last week. We are taking large chunks of Romans at a time. So you may leave here this morning and go, well, Johnny didn't do that. Too right, Johnny didn't do that. Johnny's got to do the greatest paragraph ever told and chapter four. So, um, so we'll do what we can. Um, in our home groups um, this week as well, and honestly, I encourage you to go to the home group. The, res- the video resources that are coming from the Bible Society are brilliant. And they will dig into the, some of the things that I won't dig into at the moment. So I'm going to focus just on one of those this morning. And so I am shortchanging you. I'm sorry. Um, And we're just going to have a little think about redemption because there's another word that uh, may be slightly confusing uh, into our modern 21st century uh, ears. It was there in the passage, if you spotted it, there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. We've all fallen short and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Now, redemption's uh, a word that takes us back to Old Testament Israel. Uh, in that kind of agricultural society, it was very easy to get, get into debt. There was no benefits, there was no job centre or anything like that. If you got into debt, you might often have to sell yourself into slavery. Once you sold your way into slavery, good luck. Uh, some people got out of it. If they were very lucky towards the end of their life, some people never got out of slavery. Once you were a slave, you were in trouble and you may never get out. Now, redemption... Redemption refers to the emancipation, that's the freeing, of a slave through payment by what was known as a ransom price. And in the first century AD in Rome, at least a third of the population in Rome would have been slaves. Now, many were captured in foreign lands. They were brought to Rome and uh, there was just basically human machines. They would be sold in slave markets to merchants who needed cheap, cheap labour. And the scene, quite honestly, would have, been, would have been horrific. Men and women and children uh, would have been paraded past shoppers. They would have had tags, price tags on them. Uh, another little detail I learned this week is that if they had a hat on as well, that meant there was a no returns policy. It was just barbaric. Now imagine that you were a first century Gentile Christian, and you heard about redemption. You're someone who had been through this slave market. You knew what it was like. And then you read this, and this passage tells us that in Jesus, God has stepped in and he's paid the ransom, the freedom price. Uh, When we were trapped like slaves in a market, God liberated us. That would sound incredible, wouldn't it? Uh, If you were a, uh, a Jewish Christian back then, immediately you hear the word redemption, your, your brain immediately would, because of who you are, you would go back to the book of Exodus. Uh, you would jump there immediately, uh, and you would remember the Exodus story. Uh, the people of Israel were enslaved under a pharaoh. Uh, they wouldn't be released, so God sent plagues. Uh, and the final plague, uh, that culminated in the death of the for- firstborn son and the Passover event. 
And a spotless lamb was sacrificed and blood, see that picture there, was daubed over the, the doorposts to save Israel from the angel of death. Anyone who had the blood over the door, the angel of death moved over them and, and they were saved. God's people were free and the ransom price was the Passover lamb. Now let's just whiz forward back from Exodus just to where we are now in Romans 3.25. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. By his blood, we've been rescued. Uh, We've been redeemed. It doesn't matter if you're a slave or a master. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. Jesus has paid our ransom price. We have turned our, when we turn our back on God, he purchased our freedom. How good does that sound? When we suppress God, we turn our back on him, he purchased our freedom. That's great, isn't it? But there is one point, isn't there? It does need to be received by faith. It's the gift of Jesus is not something we look on and go, wow, that's great. Well done, Jesus. That's brilliant. Thank you. It's something that we need to receive. And uh, we run the Alpha course because billions in this world have not received the free gift of Jesus. And if you're someone here this morning and you haven't, please come to Alpha or please come and chat to me, Jen, anyone you see. We would love to talk to you about that and pray with you because accepting this free gift, uh, repenting we talk about, which Paul helped us last week where we just turn away from our life and we steadfastly walk towards the Lord Jesus would be the greatest thing that you would ever do. There would be no better thing in life that you would ever do than that. And please come and chat to us if you'd like to consider that. Or if you don't, just come to the Alpha course and ask all your questions. We'd love to hear them. Now, I realize, though, that we're in a church, so there'll be many people who have already done that. And you follow Jesus. Just be really, really careful in thinking uh, what our, about our faith. We can just, it's possible that we can sometimes think that, hear, this, hear all of this, our faith saves us. Our faith saves us. What do I mean by that? Tim Keller once said this. He said, faith is simply the attitude of coming to God with empty hands. If you think it's your belief that causes your salvation, then that's quite dangerous. Because what happens then is you stop looking at Jesus, and then you start just looking at your own faith. How's my faith doing? How am I? And you get things like this. The reason I am saved is because I put my faith in Jesus. And actually, it's Jesus we've got to keep looking at and keep looking to him for everything. It's very subtle. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones once said this. He said this a long time ago, so he said it, he said it in a kind of a, a male way. I don't like it. I'm going to try and change it as I say it now. But he said this. The person who has faith is the person who no longer looks at themselves and no longer looks to themselves. They no longer look at anything they once were. They do not look at what they are now. They do not look at what they hope to be. They look entirely to the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work, and they rest on that alone. How beautiful is that? I'm conscious in this room right now, there's loads of burdens. There is just a lot of weight, I know, from pastoral situations. And the offer from Jesus is that we can rest on his finished work alone. Nothing more and absolutely nothing less. 
I just hope that just maybe lifts something in this room this morning. By his blood on the cross, everything has changed. He has redeemed us through the shedding of his blood on the cross. Uh, During a severe potato famine in Ireland, um, several families wrote letters to their landlord saying they had absolutely no money to pay the debts that they owed. They couldn't pay their rent and they begged to be let off their Uh, let off their debts. And uh, the Irish landlord, Canon Andrew Robert Fawcett, that's the best photo I have of him, um, he wrote back to his tenants and he explained, it's just not possible. I can't let you off your debts. It would set a bad precedent. You're going to have to pay every single last penny. But I enclose something that might help. Canon Andrew Robert sent a cheque with a very large sum of money that covered all of the debts and some. The two words at the start of our passage, but now, change everything through faith in Jesus, the one who died and rose again, the debt's paid, forgiveness is possible, and we can be set free. So we can live completely different lives as a result. Now, that is uh, the bit of chapter three I've got to do. I've also got to do the whole of chapter four. Here's the good news, though. Um, I didn't realize this at the time. Back in October, we looked at a series called The Bible Jesus Read, which was an overview of the Old Testament. And I was asked to look at Genesis 12 and Abraham. And uh, I didn't know this at the time. I'm now speaking on Romans 4. And guess who Romans 4 is all about? It's about Abraham. So um, here's just a little quick, quick what's going on. So Paul in the letter to Romans tells us, about what's happened that's changed everything. He now tells us about what it looks like and he uses Abraham as an example. He said, if you want to know what living for God looks like, look at this man. And we went through it. So if you don't know about Abraham very quickly, back in Genesis 12, Abraham was given three promises by God. Um, Abraham was told, I'm going to give you a land uh, and I need you to go to Abraham. He was also told that he was uh, going to become a great nation. His descendants would, uh, he'd have children, they'd become a huge nation. One promise, if you don't know this detail, very important, at this moment, Abraham is 75, his wife is barren, and they have no children. I don't think that's the greatest platform to build a nation, personally, uh, but Abraham receives this promise. He also says, you know those descendants you don't have, which you're going to have, which you have no idea how you're going to have, they're going to be a blessing to all the world as well. Yeah, right, uh, that would be me. What does Abraham do? Abraham does something very different. Abraham gets these three promises and he went just as the Lord told him. By the way, Abraham, Abraham, same person. If you want to know why, I'll explain to you afterwards. Uh, So Genesis 12, 4. We also learn in Genesis 15, 6 that Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. And and if you fast forward into Romans 4, we're not going to read it together, but I'll put it on the screen for you now. And Paul is looking back to Abraham and going, this guy, this guy got it right. This is a good picture for us for how to live. What does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And um, back, in, um, back in the autumn, I, I use these, um, these scales quite a lot because what we need to remember about Abraham, and we have to say this very, very briefly, is Abraham wasn't somebody who had it Sometimes we think of people in the Bible, oh, they just had it easy, didn't they? Abraham had a lot of problems. He had huge problems. But what Abraham did, uh, said John Stott, was as he contemplated his age, 75, no children, wife's barren, 
he neither turned a blind eye to his problems nor underestimated them, but he reminded himself of the promises of God's power and faithfulness. Faith always looks at the problems in the light of the promises. So that's what Abraham did. As well as that, Abraham could easily have been like this cautious person. He could have been someone who, do you know what? I've got these promises, about these promises, but I'm just going to tiptoe. I'm going to go very carefully in case it goes wrong. But Abraham didn't do that. Abraham lived this bold life. Andrew Ollerton, who we'll meet next week, said this is not the size of our faith, but the faithfulness of God that matters. Abraham knew that I can trust God. He keeps his promises, so I'm going to go for it. Uh, And then finally as well, Abraham uh, was blessed. And um, he could easily have hoarded all his blessings. For me, for me, but he didn't. Abraham spent his life as a blessing. And that's, that's a very quick jump tour of somebody, an Old Testament, huge Old Testament figure. What does it say in Romans for us? Romans 4, 19 to 21 says this beautiful summary. It says, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. This is through the story as well. And that Sarah's womb was also dead. Lovely now. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he promised. Isn't that a beautiful verse? And also, wouldn't it be wonderful if after hearing this morning, the but now, and the possibly the greatest, most important paragraph ever written, that we responded exactly like Abraham responded back then. Wouldn't it be amazing if if we could say this? What about this? The people of Belmont faced the fact that life was challenging, that things at times were unbelievably bleak. Yet they did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but were strengthened in their faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ that God had power to do exactly what he promised. That would be amazing. Wouldn't it if we could say that? In part three of Romans, we learn that something has happened that changes everything. We're now climbing, but now, and we also get a brilliant example of what it looks like uh, to follow the God that we sing about and worship. I need to finish, and Ruth and the band need to come back, don't they? But I I do need to go back to a tearful young lady, don't I? Uh, She was really worried about underperformance at sports day. Daddy, I'm worried about sports day tomorrow. I'm scared that I won't do well. Well, I quickly phoned um, parents, SOS, no, I didn't. Um, Climbed the stairs, held it tight, and I said these words to her. Lucy, if you come first, we won't love you more. And if you come last, we won't love you less. Some of you will be thinking, wow, what a great parent. Others, you're going, you're a plagiarist. Too right, I am a plagiarist. Some of you know where that's come from. Some of you won't, don't worry. Um, Probably one of the most significant um, paperbacks of the last few years was a book called What's So Amazing About Grace by Philip Yancey. In it was this quote, and um, it's huge. Grace means that there is nothing we can do to make God love us more, and there's nothing we can do to make God love us less. I'm conscious that January is a bad time, and uh, last Monday was Blue Monday, and some people may need to hear that this morning. 
Whatever's happened this week, whatever you've done, whatever you haven't done, there's nothing we can do to make God love us more. Less, sorry. And equally, if you've had a week where you're going, oh, God's really pleased with me this week because I have absolutely smashed. No, nothing we can do to make God love us more. How freeing is that? doesn't change. It never, ever changes. I don't know about you, but knowing that the God of the universe, who made everything, sustains everything, keeps it all going, loves me unconditionally, uh, that keeps me going. One final question, you might want to come up with our band, is this. How do you think she did? How do you think Lucy performed the next day? I never got to see it. I was at school probably telling stories about her while I could. Um, but how do you think Lucy performed in sports day? Um, do you think that she, the gun went, or probably not at that age, probably like a go. Um, the gun went and she went like, oh, my parents love me and I'll, I skipped. My understanding is, um, is that when that gun went, she ran. She ran faster than she'd ever run before. And she ran with the biggest grin on her face. Now, I have no idea if those words resonated from her, but I would like to think that somehow she's there running in response to her freedom. There's no worry about gaining love or acceptance. There's no worry about losing love or acceptance. She's free, she's loved, and she can run. Now, we live in a performance-driven world, don't we? Everything is about performance. Exams, audits, um, any form of judgment. If, you go in a, if you're a musician, you play a, something and someone examines you, gives you a grade. If you're about to do A-levels, university sort, you write some things on a paper and someone tells you how good or how bad you are. If you are a barrister, you present your case and the judge tells you the verdict. Performance, then a verdict. Here's what's different about all the things that we're talking about. It's verdict first. And the verdict is is that you're loved beyond belief. And do you know what? The performance can follow, can't it? We're free, completely free. There is nothing that can happen. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. There's nothing we can do to make God love us more or make God love us less. And we're free now to perform. We're free in sort of Belmont speak to share the story and to live the life. We were languishing in the valley of sin last week, but we have climbed because we found out that there is someone who has died for us, who loves us so much. His death and his resurrection, we can be justified, made right with God. We can be redeemed and bought by the blood of Jesus. This series is going to get better and better. Don't miss it. And if you don't know who Jesus is, you've got to. You've got to. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that Romans doesn't end at 3.20. Thank you that it changes. But now, Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus. Father, help us to respond just like Abraham did. Help us to be... um, people who lean on your promises and live bold lives, blessing others, telling people about Jesus. Help us to to run and to live with freedom, knowing that we're secure. 
thank you so much that you're a God who loves us and that there's nothing we can do to make God you love us more and there's nothing we can do to make you love us less. Thank you so much. Amen. Would you stand please? But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus.